Hey, BlackRock. Uh, I just want to give a big, massive shout out first off to all my fellow dads out there. Happy Father's Day, gents. Um, I just, I, my name is Tim Blow, and I have been here as a part of student ministry for the last 13 years here at BlackRock, and for the last seven as the lead director of student ministry. Uh, but this week is actually my last Sunday as uh, God is transitioning myself and my family to the next adventure that he has for us. But I am super excited that you have tuned in with us today um, because I'm excited about bringing the word to you, but I'm also super jazzed that you just got to hear from some of our amazing students during this student ministry takeover. And before we go in any farther, let's go ahead and pray. So God, I just thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the fact that you love us, that you've given us life. Father, I thank you that you are a God that transcends time and space. And God, that you, um, that we, as we gather together electronically all over the place, like as we gather together in your name, God, I pray that you would be present with us. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just show up in huge ways to speak towards our hearts. That God, you would take our hearts and you would mold them. You would align them to your own. So God, thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today I really would like to talk to you guys about alignment. I don't know if you, how familiar you are with the word alignment, but there's a, kind of different things we can think of when it comes to that, like we can think of uh, maybe audio video. Have you ever like streamed something and, and there's that time when the audio and the video aren't aligned together where you're hearing one thing, but when you look at the mouse, like it's going at different places. I don't know about you, that drives me crazy. Like it's just one of those things I actually want to like turn away or like close my eyes because it, it, it almost drives me mad. Or maybe when you think of the word alignment, you think more of your car. You think about your wheels being aligned because it's really important on your car for your wheels to be aligned, that they are aligned to go straight. Um, this is a really good thing. And, and just so you can not only uh, make sure that everything's pointing the direction it should go, but also making sure you have the best contact to the road possible. Uh, because see, here's the thing. When, when video is out of sync, it's kind of annoying. But when your car is out of alignment, that can not only cause premature wear and uneven wear in your tires, but it also can be dangerous. The very first car I bought as a high schooler was, I bought it for 1200 bucks, and it was a 1988 Nissan Pulsar. It was this little, small, white, sporty two-door car, and uh, when I bought it, the tires were terrible, and the alignment, yeah, not even close to on, right? And it was one of those things you, you learn to compensate. Like instead of like holding it 10 and 2 and pointing straight, you turn it this way to go straight. And that's where my car was. And I remember shortly after I'd bought this car, it was summer break, and I was driving to work one morning. It was wet. The roads were wet, and I'm just booking along, heading to work. Well, all of a sudden, down below me, down the hill, there was a car that pulls out onto the road. And so I just tapped my brakes, right, just to slow down a little bit. And uh, what happened next, I could not have anticipated. Because what happened was my, my one tire that actually kept traction in that moment on that wet surface was not pointed straight down the road. It was pointed to my left. And so all of a sudden, when I tapped those brakes just ever so slightly, my car just violently turned to the left. 
and all of a sudden I'm in an outright spin, right? And what seemed like an eternity was probably a few seconds as I literally do two full 360s in the middle of the road and my car stops dead center in the middle of the road facing the direction I want to go. My heart was pounding, right? And, and I, to say I drove gingerly from there to the rest of the way to work is an understatement. Um, that was terrifying. Totally could have gone a different way, but I can tell you one thing that I did do is shortly thereafter, I made sure to save enough money to get new tires and to get my wheels aligned. And see, today, what I want to really look at is the fact that we need to get our alignment checked. Romans 8, 29, it's a great verse. It says this, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And see, we we are predestined. It is ordained that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to look at the fact that God, our heavenly father, wants us to align ourselves to Jesus, that our heart would match his heart. And and this isn't something that naturally happens for us because, see, in the world we live in, we're constantly getting pulled in different directions. Um, And and really, in order for our heart to be aligned to Jesus' heart, we really need to know what his heart is all about. What is the heartbeat of Jesus? What does his heart beat to that we can align ourselves to? Well, the passage I want to spend the bulk of our time in here today is found in in the the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Now, this passage is commonly referred to as Jesus' kind of high priestly prayer uh, to his followers, or for his followers to his Father. um, But it's in this, as we look at this prayer, we can begin to see a little bit of the heartbeat of Jesus. And um, the first thing that we see is the fact that Jesus wants to bring glory to his name. So join me as we look at John 17, starting in verse one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. See, in this prayer, we see Jesus declaring that his life here on earth, everything that he came to do was to give the glory to the Father. And he's asking his Father to continue to glorify himself by giving Jesus glory, by raising him back up to the place of glory that he had before the creation of the world, before time existed. Jesus' heart is that his name would be glorified. Now see, Jesus isn't arrogant in this, because here's the thing. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We read in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which he must be saved. 
Guys, it is, the, it is the name of Jesus that the dead are raised. It is in the name of Jesus that captives are set free and chains are broken. It is in the name of Jesus that we, uh, we find purpose and power. And it's in the name of Jesus that, that deep-rooted evil and prejudices lose their power. They tremble and they run away as the people of God love and live lives of love that only his name can bring about. Now the sad thing, the hard thing is that sometimes, see his name should be lifted high, but sometimes even we as Christ followers sometimes don't give him, his name the glory that it's due. And the reality is that we live in a world and our students are immersed in it that actually says, hey, you need, to, you need to raise up your own name. You need to make your name great. You need to make a name for yourself. Show why you are valuable. Show why you have worth. Show why you should get that award or why that college should accept you into its institution or why you are better qualified for that job versus somebody else. Make your name great. More recognition, more influence, more about us. John the Baptist, though, somebody who had uh, established clout and established following, really sets the example for us, though. When Jesus enters the picture that we see in John 3.30, where he says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Alignment check. Am I living my life to my own glory or am I living to make the name of Jesus great? Jesus' heart is for his glory, but it's also for us to be set apart in truth. See, Jesus continues his prayer in John 17 to begin to pray for his disciples, the original 12 minus Judas and those of us that have come after he begins to, um, he thanks his father for giving uh, those of us to him. And he begins to pray for our continued alignment to him. And we're going to pick it back up in verse 14 of chapter 17. Here's what it says. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. That they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself and that they also may be sanctified in truth. See, as we read this, as we read these words of Jesus, there's a few phrases that Jesus repeats. And I wanna encourage you, as you're reading the word of God, when phrases, especially spoken by Jesus, are repeated, Take note, notice those things. Because see, there are, uh, a fr there's a phrase that's repeated four times, two different times in two verses. Uh, and, and these two verses sound very similar to each other. And we see them, um, and, and the phrase that we see repeated is not of the world. Jesus says in verse 14, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And again in verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is sending us into the, world, into the world, but we're not to be of the world. Now, that can be a little confusing. Now, in our country, there, we have these amazing men and women 
who are, who are brave members of our Navy. They're sailors. Uh, and, and they actually spend months of, at a time in the ocean. And by what I mean in the ocean, I mean in submarines, under the water, in the ocean. Right? They do that. But they're in the ocean, but that's not their home. Now, if you were talking about a shark or, uh, uh, you know, a whale, a sea turtle, plankton, you know, what other things from Finding Dory or Finding Nemo can I name, right? Those things are in the ocean and they're of the ocean. But see, a submarine full of human beings is not of the ocean, but it is in it for a time. Now, there might be some, you know, hardcore sailors or fishermen out there out there, if you talk to them, they may be like, oh, the ocean's my home, right? And I, I don't know why I think hardcore sailors might talk like a pirate. I just think that's probably what they do. But they might feel that way. They might feel a home there because for them, they, they feel like they're part of it because it's what fills their time. It's where, it's where their efforts are spent. It's what they're passionate about. But sadly, this is how some Christians view the world that we live in. They've come to love it. They, they want to be a part of it. And when they're in it, they feel like they're at home. But when we read, when Jesus talks about in, in John 17, verse six, we see that the, the world is no longer our home. We've been brought out of it. And according to Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship, our home is now in heaven. So how do we live in the world but not of the world. How do we do that? Well, Jesus speaks to this in another repeated phrase in that passage that we read in John 17. And that's the phrase, sanctified them in the truth. The word sanctify carries kind of two parts to it. It's this idea of separation and dedication. Separation and dedication. This whole idea of, of separation is this idea that we are set apart, separated from the things of this world. What are the things of this world? They are the things that are contrary to God. They're not of God, not of who he is. And that's, that's actions, that's, that's thoughts, that's, that's mindsets, values, priorities that don't line up with who God is. The hard part about this though, is that the world is continuously pointing us to things that they say are good and, and of value and of worth to spend our efforts on, that sometimes those things just aren't of God or at least not the same for the same purpose for, or for the, at the same priority level. So how do we know what is not of God? Well, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Set them apart to what is true. And it's in the very words of Jesus that we can see kind of three aspects, uh, three areas that we find truth. Here's the first one we see in, in John 17, we've already read it. That Jesus says to God the Father, your word is truth. God's word is truth. All of it from, from beginning to end, it's all true. Don't pick and choose. That is a dangerous form of idolatry. And we also read in John 14, 6, Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So we see Jesus, that Jesus is the truth. And then Jesus also speaks in John 16, he speaks of the Holy Spirit when he says this, when the spirit of truth comes. And John says it directly in 1 John 5, 6, that the spirit is 
truth. So here's what this means. It means with the mind, with our minds, we study and learn what is true from God's word. We can know truth. But then we can begin to, with our hearts, love truth as we love Jesus, right? And how do we love Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us that in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keep, keeps them, he it is who loves me. Now, so we, so we learn about God's word with our mind from his word, from truth. We learn that and we, we want to love Jesus well, so we want to live that out. But that's not always easy to do. And so there we, we take our will and we, we submit our will to the Holy Spirit, that we surrender control to him, that he would help us to live the truth. See, this separation to God is about the entirety of, of who we are, our inner selves. It's about our, our heart and our, our mind and our will. He's calling us to be holy as he is holy. Alignment check. Our are you looking more like the world or are you looking more like Jesus? But before you answer that question, I want you to ask yourself another question. Am I spending time in God's word to know that it's true? Do, uh, am I spending, do I, do I know what Jesus is, who he is, what he looks like, this Jesus I claim to love? Do I really know him from God's word or am I just clinging to these cliche things I've kind of grabbed a hold of and am I kind of coming up with my own version of Jesus? Do you know what God's word says so that you can know this Jesus? Have you looked at what God's word says as far as how people have, followers of Jesus have submitted their, their life to the Holy Spirit? And, and have surrendered to him and how he has worked so that you might want to do the same thing. You know, watching things like this, what you're doing right now, that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but you need far more than this. If, if the sum of your input as to who Jesus is, is you listening or watching sermons, you know, you could go 20 years as a Christian and still have to be spoon-fed because you're still a spiritual infant, instead of being able to dive deep into God's word yourself to further see what is truth. Are you in the Bible to really know Jesus? Alignment check. But like I said, sanctification kind of carries two parts. It's this idea of separation, but it's also dedication. It's separation that's being set apart um, uh, in truth from the world and towards holy living in God, but it's also, uh, it's also dedication is being set apart for God's purpose in your life, that you're set apart for purpose. See, Jesus' prayer is that we would be sanctified in truth. His heart is that we might be set apart for purpose. We see in, in John 17, Verse 18, it says this, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, Jesus sent out his disciples 2,000 years ago and the same thing is true for us today. See, he gave the great commission, the, the cause, the greatest thing that we could ever be about in our lives. He gave that to us in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Here's what Jesus says. Then Jesus came to them and said, 
all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Our commission, the, the, the purpose that we have been set apart for is to make disciples, not converts. We aren't looking to just try to get people to pray a prayer. We're not even looking just for people to acknowledge their need for a savior and to look for Jesus for that. That's a great place to start, but that's not where it should end. See, Jesus' purpose for us is actually that we would go and make disciples. But I, wa I want to be clear about something, though. This is not my job. This is not Pastor Steve's job or some other church staff member's job to go and to make disciples. I think that's often where we get it wrong. Because see, uh, our job as church staff, as church leaders, is actually to equip you, equip you to do the work of the ministry to help you know how to make disciples who make disciples, that you would do it on your own. But here's the thing, we live in a day and an age, and it's especially true with the younger generations that feel that it is wrong for us to share our faith with people who believe differently from us. It's this whole idea of like, man, what, what gives us the right to, to share what we believe with them? What... What gives us the right to like say, hey, or, or what makes, why are we so arrogant to say, well, I'm right and you're wrong. If you feel that way, just, just hang with me for a moment. Because I'm going to look back at this commission that Jesus gives to us. Because here's how he starts it. He starts it by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What this means is that there is no cultural norm, no government rule, no social nicety that is above the heart of Jesus. All authority has been given to him. He sets the rules. He is the one that we ultimately answer to. And again, this is about the heart of Jesus. And his heart is not that we would go out and proselytize. It's not about us making converts. The question is, do we believe Jesus or not? Because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is a name by which we are saved. When we share Jesus with people, this is not about us being right. And if that's what you're doing, then all of a sudden you've made it not about Jesus, not about others, but you've made it about you. Because Jesus laid down his life that we might have life. And he, he makes his heart even more clear in 1 Timothy 2.4, where we read that, that he desires that all people were to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The real question is, do we see people, do we see lost people as Jesus does? Do our hearts break? Do we understand that not only there's someone who doesn't know Jesus, that they're going to be separated from, from God for all of eternity, but also that they're already separated right here, right now, from the one who loves them more than anyone else ever could. That they are being kept from the greatest love that they could ever know. Do we believe that? 
Because that should be enough that would make us want to share Jesus with them. We, would, we should long to see people enter into the life-giving, purpose-revealing, uh, radically redeeming relationship that can only be found in the greatest name and in the greatest love that they could ever know, Jesus. And see, here's the thing. As you watch God transform the life of someone that you cared enough about, that you loved enough, that you are willing to start praying really hard, that you start loving them really well, purposefully, and you begin sharing with them. And as you see God begin to transform their life and, and use you, yeah, measly old you, to change, to, to literally save a life, as you see God do that, you begin to, to really um, realize, maybe for the first time, what Jesus talks about in John 17, 13, that we might have his joy fulfilled in our lives as we walk in the sanctified work that he has commissioned for us to do. Experiencing what Romans 1, 16 says, that the gospel, Jesus, is the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Alignment check. Do our hearts long with compassion and the love of Jesus to see people come to know him and, and follow him and really become a disciple of Jesus. And there's one more aspect of, of Jesus' heart that I want to look at today. And that's his heart for unity, that we would be one. Follow along in verse 20 of John 17. I do not ask for these only, talking about his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' heart, is that we would be one. This last week, I, I, I heard a podcast where someone was actually talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as I heard uh, this parable, I really resonated with what he was saying. Uh, and by resonate, I mean I was convicted by. Because see, typically, I, I resonated with the fact that typically when I, when I hear the, that narrative of the Good Samaritan, and if you don't know it, go to Luke 10 and read about it. Um, when I hear that, I typically put myself in the place of the Good Samaritan. Like, oh yeah, totally. Like if there was someone who was hurt, hurting and bleeding and, and along the side of the road, I would jump in, I would help them, I would love on them. I definitely would not be one of those two heathens, right? Those two evil dudes, that Levite, that priest who just walked on by. But those guys get a little bit of a bad rap, don't they? I mean, come on. I mean, it's not like they beat this guy up and left him for dead. They didn't rob him. They weren't involved at all in this. They weren't a cause to it. And in fact, they may have been walking by and their heart broke at the situation. They just didn't know what they could do. But if you're anything like me, I have a tendency to, to almost demonize those two, to, to really condemn the, that Levite, that priest for walking by even more so than I do the ones who actually committed the crime. 
You know, in the last number of weeks and in the past, our country has been rocked by racial tensions that have resulted and come out of crimes that have been committed against the black and brown community in our country. What was done to George Floyd and to too many others was wrong, is wrong. We see that. We get that. But what part are we going to play in the story? Because true, we probably aren't the ones who committed these travesties. We probably aren't the ones who are racist at all. In fact, we might have relationships with black and brown uh, brothers and sisters in Christ that we treasure, right? Um, we, we know that what happened was wrong, and we get that. We might be doing nothing wrong, but that might be just a problem, is that we're not doing anything. That we walk by brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting, who are frightened, who are angry, and we see them and we shake our head and we say, yes, that is wrong, but then we just keep walking. Jesus' heart is that we would be one, that we'd love. And so my question is, are we willing to get down on our knees and are we willing to get messy? Are we willing to come alongside of our friends who are hurting, listen to their stories, cry with them, are, are we willing to stand with them? Are, are we willing to see how we've experienced privilege that we may have been completely unaware of? And are we willing to teach our children about how Jesus sees them? Are we willing? But as you enter into this, because I think a lot of you are, I want to encourage you, don't look for the quick fix. Because there's no quick fix here. There's not one thing that we could do that would just change this. This is going to be the long haul. Because there is no quick fix to this issue of sin plaguing our country. Know that it is only through the changing of hearts, through the power of Jesus, that our country can experience true healing as our black brothers and sisters in Christ are seen and are loved and are valued as, as created in the image of God. The good Samaritan stayed involved until the healing took place. Will we do the same? Now unity, it's a big thing. It's a big subject. There's lots of parts about it that go along with it. But there's one more area that I think is super applicable to us right now that I want to look at, that I think is the heart of Jesus. Check out this verse from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24, 25. It says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, we live in a unique time for everyone watching this. Never before in our lifetime have we experienced such quarantine, such isolation, such separation for, that we've experienced the last three months. You know, it seemed like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we no longer got to do the things that we enjoyed. We no longer uh, got to go to sporting events or sit down at our favorite restaurant or in a movie theater. Got to gather together uh, at church or go to school. 
In fact, these things came to a painful screeching halt. It was almost like things were frozen in time. Now, like many, you probably jumped onto this new form of electronic church. You know, you started watching on Sunday mornings. You maybe even got involved in community through Zoom groups, right? Now, I don't know of too many people who prefer Zoom. In fact, I don't know anybody who prefers Zoom. I think most of us would love to be able to see and hear and interact and maybe even hug. I'm a hugger, you know? I want to hug people in person. But the cool thing is, and thing I, one of the things that I've been able to see is that even during this time, even during this time that's awkward and weird, I have seen people do life together, be unified and in community, be able to continue to grow and encourage each other in their faith. For, to, for some, this has been a time that God has grown them because they have stepped into it. But for some, they have begun to neglect meeting together. Actually, I know for a fact that some people stopped as soon as church in person stopped. I get it. Community and trying to do unity together over Zoom or something like that is just awkward. And it's not a good awkward. It's not an awesome awkward. It's a bad awkward. And I get it. But as a result now, some of you, you're struggling in your faith. Now, others of you, you might still be doing okay. But see, unity Doing life together is actually not about us at all. It's not about what I get out of it, but it's actually more about what I give to it. How I'm going to mutually encourage other people in my life. And see, guys, I just want you to know, maturity in Jesus is not about what I receive from this. It's really, unity is about what I'm gonna do for the sake of Jesus and for other people. That's what it means to live in unity. We're contributors. You know, the world, for the world around us, life has gone ahead. It's looked different, but it keeps moving forward. What about your faith? Don't give up meeting together. Jesus' heart is that we would be one. You sharing your life with me, me sharing my life with you, and us loving each other in such a way that people see Jesus in us. Alignment check. Am I living as one with other followers of Jesus? Am I connected to them even during this COVID crazy? Is my heart breaking for the one who's facing pain and fear during these days? Am I willing to take action in love as Jesus would? You know, one of the things that I'm looking forward to one day is when we can all come back together. I just love being together. We can talk. We can just be with each other. We can, we can come together in this room and worship like we did before. And I can't wait for that day because one of the things that I really love is worshiping with all of you. I love singing uh, and I love doing, uh, worshiping God in that way. And whether that's con contemplative and reflective and, or, or whether that's really upbeat and I'm jumping around and I'm clapping, you know, I love that. 
you know, being able to clap. But have you ever been one of those times you're clapping and there's someone not too far away from you and instead of clapping on beat, they're like, they're like kind of off, right? Have you ever experienced that? And all of a sudden you're like, you're cringing and it's kind of painful because the alignment just isn't there. When we look at the word of God, we get to see the heart of Jesus. Jesus prayed that he would be glorified, that his name would be lifted high. He prayed that we might be sanctified in truth, set apart from this world and for the purpose that God has commissioned us with, to tell people about him, to make disciples who make disciples. Jesus prayed that we would be one, that we would do life together, even during these interesting and crazy and weird times that we're in. And that we would stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through extreme pain and difficulty that is not anything new, but something they've been facing their entire lives, much maybe to our ignorance and lack of knowledge about. That's a bit of the heart of Jesus. It's his heartbeat. Check your pulse. Is your heart beating for what Jesus beats for? Or are you off? God's desire is that we be conformed, aligned to the image of his son. May you, Black Rock, be a place be a church, be a people who align yourselves to the heartbeat of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much. God, that you love us so very much. And God, you have called us to align ourselves with your son for our heart to beat for what, what yours beats for, to break for what breaks yours, to be passionate about what you're passionate for. God, may we step into that and God, may we live that way first and foremost in our lives. God, thank you. And may we, through all of this, make your name great. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, BlackRock.